I'm going to admit something to you all this morning that I'm not exactly proud of. I got hooked on a documentary series of sorts on Netflix. <laughs> it's called Life and Death by Tyler Henry. Tyler Henry is a medium. He communicates with the dead. People hire him and they have a session with him and he speaks to them about those who have passed. That's why I'm a little uncomfortable about sharing with you that I actually watched this. It's crazy, isn't it? Who in their right mind would believe such a thing? Well, evidently, Tyler Henry, I think I said his name wrong, Tyler Henry is world-renowned, I discovered. He has a waiting list a mile long for people who want to come, him to come and sit with them and have what they call a reading where he connects with their loved ones or someone that they're related to who has passed over. The series documented some of his consultations or readings, if you will. The people were chosen, they said, at random. He knew absolutely nothing about them. He did not know who he was going to see until he arrived. He didn't know their name or anything about them. And then he would begin to sit down and have these sessions with them. Now, he usually started out with some random question like, is there a male figure in your family who has passed? Well, we've all had a male figure in our family who's passed, you know. Or it might be a woman. So I'm kind of rolling my eyes. And, oh, by the way, these sessions were not like you might think at the dark of night with the full moon and some incense burning and candles. No, they were usually in a park, a public park or someone's living room or their backyard. He would continue his reading, throwing out what seemed to be some pretty random faults, even confessing that the spirits rarely spoke to him directly, but would give him a picture or something like a feeling or a, a quirky something that made absolutely no sense to anyone except the people for whom he was giving the reading. He might say something like, I hear car keys jingling. And people go, that's what they did all the time. They jingle their keys all the time. Or they would say, I secretly, before this session, without anybody knowing, I wrote down, if this is really real, let him say something about the car keys. Or a red scarf. I see a red scarf. Does that mean anything to you? When the person passed, they were wearing the red scarf that their great-great-grandmother had given them. Usually, the thing had a particular meaning to the person who was hearing to convince them that this was real, that there was a connection going on. It's crazy, isn't it? I'm sitting here watching this going, this is crazy, this is a hoax. Who would believe this? It's got to be a trick to it. So I kept watching. 
probably 10 episodes. <laughs> and each episode chipped away at my doubts just a little bit more. I got to thinking, could this be real? Are there people who can actually communicate with the dead? Are the dead out there on the other side somewhere attempting to communicate with us? There was something I realized that all of these readings had in common beyond the crazy, quirky things. Every session brought some sort of healing to the person or some sort of closure to the people being read. Some who had guilt or shame about a person's passing or maybe some unresolved issue in that relationship. At the end of the session, they all seemed to have this great sense of relief and peace. So, this year, Tom asked me if I would come and preach to you good folks here in Normandy the Sunday after Easter. And guess what the lectionary text is? It's the story of Jesus' visitation to the disciples. Of after-death appearance. To the disciples, except Thomas, old doubting Thomas. He wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples, and when they told him what had happened, he could not believe it. He would not believe it. It was a hoax, it was a trick, it was the craziest thing he'd ever heard of. Who would believe it? It's ridiculous. Dead people don't appear to the living. Sometimes, when you've grown up in the church like I have, I think I just accept some of these ridiculous stories without realizing how crazy they must sound to the outside world or to non-believers. They probably sound as crazy to them as mediums and psychics and people talking to the dead found us on a Netflix series. Have you ever thought about how some of the stories that we believe, how crazy they might seem to people who aren't believers or haven't grown up in this culture where everybody just accepts that? We say things like, oh, he's born of a virgin. He walks on water. He heals the sick. He turns water into wine. He comes back from the dead. We hear those stories and we're like, oh yeah, I know that story. But what does it sound like to the unchurched? Maybe it sounds a bit like the Netflix series of Life After Death with Tyler Henry. So what did our good and gracious God do? 
He included this story in the Gospels about a doubter. Perhaps knowing that there would be those who are skeptical about all of this, perhaps knowing that if we all thought about it long and hard enough, we too might have our doubts. Now, I give you another little confession. Throughout my years of ministry, I have found myself always attracted to what I call the rogues of Scripture. Those characters like Moses, the murderer, turned to lawgiver. Jacob, the con artist. David, the adulterer. Jeremiah, the complaining prophet. Peter, the denier. And Thomas, the doubter. I'm always drawn to those folks. It's almost like the almighty, the almighty God is saying, look, there you are. I put you right in the story. I don't choose perfect people who have stellar qualities and no doubt. <clears throat> I choose sinners and ne'er-do-wells and doubters, people who make mistakes and have trouble believing outrageous things like anyone could love and accept them just the way they are. This gospel message God is sending us, this good news is for all of us. The ones who need healing and hope, encouragement and proof, the ones who believe and the ones who don't. Those who carry unresolved issues of shame and guilt. Thomas was a practical guy. He wasn't going to fall for a midnight sighting during some seance session with a Ouija board on your lap. He said, I want some proof. I want to put my hand in the wound in his side, I want to feel the nail prints where they nailed him to the cross. Or else, I'm not going to believe. How many of us have demanded similar signs from God? We're in a crisis, we're in a moment where the road splits and we say, Lord, give me a sign. Open a door, close a door, send me a messenger. Something. I know I've done it. I bet you have too. And guess what? In our story, Jesus does the very thing that Thomas demands. I don't think it means that he will do exactly what we ask, but it means somehow, some way, he'll show up for us. Look what happens when, when Jesus arrives and he meets Thomas's conditions. He says, put your fingers on my hands, touch my side. But here's where the story takes a radical turn. It's one of the high points of the gospel. Thomas says, my 
doesn't touch anything. He doesn't have to. Something in that moment has happened. And Thomas is all in. He's convinced. As crazy as it seems. My sense is that there will be some of you who had similar convincing moments in your faith journey. Moments that have erased all doubt. Moments that assure us of not only that there is a God, but that God is alive and real and communicating to us in ways that erase our pain and heal our shame and bring us that peace that passes all understanding. And I think those of us who have had such experiences need to remember that the world might look upon us like mediums and psychic soothsayers to believe such outrageous things. So we must be gentle with them in our approach, cautiously and slowly sharing our crazy faith experiences. And if you happen to be one of those who have not been convinced, a skeptic, still needing some proof. I'd like for you to own the story of Thomas and know that our Lord has not forgotten you. And in some way, he will show up in your life. And remember that Jesus even said, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who believe My sense is that this story is about Thomas, the doubter, who comes to believe. But it's also about all the rest of the church who centuries later will not have that experience that he had. I believe this is, story is about all the gutsy, practical, concrete sort of people like Thomas. And it's for those who roll their eyes and have their doubts and think spiritual matters should be delegated to the weak of mind, the desperate, those who are in need of a psychic crutch. So how do we reconcile this message, this gospel message, this visitation from the dead, this returned appearance? I think we need to pull back from the moment and look at the broad picture. And remember that Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You see, resurrection is not about seeing dead people or having some proof. It is about receiving new life. The overarching story of God's love is one of putting back together that which is broken. Removing guilt and shame. It's about people experiencing forgiveness and love. Love that is not conditional upon our behavior or our level of belief. 
Easter is about being transformed in such a way that we not only see ourselves the way God sees us, but we begin to see one another the way God sees them. The main thing about the faith experience is not walking on the water or the virgin birth or the post-resurrection appearances. The main thing about the faith experience is that the Holy Spirit of God thrives in our lives in such a way that brings wholeness and peace and comfort. A true sense of inner well-being and confidence to move forward in our lives boldly. That's the story of the resurrection. If you were able, would you please stand and join me in the Easter affirmation?